Um, I was thinking back this last uh, over this last year, and I think um, trying to come up with a word. What's the word that stands out? And I think if I had to pick a word, I'd, I'd pick favor, in the sense of uh, the the story backdrop story that you all may not know um, is that uh, Brian and I for months upon months tried to get a conversation with uh, the principal here several a couple of years back, and um, and nothing. I mean, literally, hey, we'll buy lunch and. No response, and we'll buy a bigger lunch, and nothing. And then we're told no several times, and and we kept looking and driving around. I can't tell you how many times I circled Midtown Tucson just looking for space, looking for a place, looking for something that we would drive around and see. And and then all of a sudden, it was like God's favor just got turned on, and uh, we've been living and basking in the beauty of that ever since. And so as Dan prayed there at the end, uh, this really is all because of God. And it's all because of his favor. We give him all the credit. Um, and we just we love writing his coattails, and we hope to do that for the next 25 years and make an impact that goes beyond what we can ever imagine. I think if I had to pick another word that describes this last year for me personally, um, it would be the word smiles. Here's what I, here's what I love. I loved getting the opportunity to see you all. Um, we, we've done so much for John B. Wright Elementary, uh, from the hygiene kits to 430 backpacks, and the smiles that walked in the room this last August as kids walked in and saw a mountain of backpacks. And each kid would walk up to one of our volunteers and leaders that were there, and, and they literally would say, I get to pick my backpack. And... And we'd say, yeah, you, you get to pick. You got a big choice. And they would rummage through, and they would put one on, and they would walk out hand-in-hand hand with mom or their dad, their aunt, their uncle, their grandma, and the smile across their face, realizing people they don't know just said, we believe in you. We love you. You're noticed. You're not a number. Uh, we care. And I think that was huge for them. I think the smiles of seeing moms walk up with strollers at Thanksgiving time and we're handing out 30 Thanksgiving turkeys and all the fixings and it's weighing down their stroller and they're trying to figure out how they're going to hold the baby and the turkey and all the stuff and push the stroller back the street and the smiles on their faces. I think of 17 smiles in particular coming up out of the water of baptism of saying, I choose Jesus and I choose to go public with that. Um, I won't forget those. I, I see a smile of a young lady who sat about five rows back and after a service prays to receive Christ and says, I don't know how I ever found this church. I'm not sure how I got here, but I don't want to be anywhere else. And the smile that goes across her face. I think of there's so many... Smiles after smile. I think of the uh, luncheon we just did for teachers and administrators here. And, and I can't tell you, as someone two years ago who could not get a meeting with a principal to be able to walk into Catalina High School and the security guard's like, come on in! And to walk into, you know, John B. Wright and have principals give you hugs. And just to say, we, we love you, and we're so glad that you're here and that they've got chairs now in a little theater and just that you all have done that. And um, 
it is a real treat and honor to kind of serve alongside you. And uh, so well done, church. Well done. Sorry. <clears throat> now, in that same tone, I'm thinking futuristically of a thousand more smiles that are yet to come. Of the things that are going to happen in 2015, 2016, and 2017 that God's going to do in you and through you and through this church to make a difference in the heart of this city. We've talked about bringing the hope of Jesus to the heart of the city, and that's the mission we're on, inviting people into a life-giving, life-changing relationship with Jesus. And so if you're a guest with us tonight, now you know what we're about. Ta-da! That's what we're about. And uh, we want to be the church, not just talk about the church. And uh, we get to express that quite a bit. Now, I'm going to switch gears drastically and uh, get us back to a series that we started last week called Empty. And this series is all about this idea that there's a lot of different pursuits in life, things that call for our attention, our affection, our adoration, our pursuit. But you can end up chasing them and in the end wake up feeling empty thinking that they promise to give you what you want, the value and significance and, and all the, the different God-given desires that he's put within your heart, he's put within my heart. And sometimes when we aim at wrong things, we can wind up empty. And we talked last week of saying this, there's this contrast in the way of living. And Jesus kind of highlights this in John 10, 10. And he kind of, you can get the backdrop of the story going in, and you read from verse 1 through verse 9, and Jesus is telling this story about him being the good shepherd, and there's a, another way of living life that's out there, and he calls it the way of the enemy. And he gives it a name because he talks about the enemy, he talks about Satan having a persona. It's not just this, you know, like bad force, it's like Star Wars, the force. Um, it, it's... There's an actual thing going on, and there's an actual entity that is behind this, and he calls it, it's this kind of the way of the enemy. And in a lot of ways, our world is influenced by that quite a bit. Your life is influenced by mine too. That there's a lot of things that the world, we'll just kind of give a blanket statement, that the world says, these are the things that matter, and if you pursue them, they will give you the significance and the desires and, and the beauty and, and the value that you are looking and longing for. For It will meet something in you. And for some of those, that's true. But for many of them, you'll actually chase after and wake up feeling empty. And Jesus kind of said it directly that the enemy comes to steal and to kill and destroy, to steal away things that you think are going to be there for you, to kind of kill off the things that you, that you are hoping and putting your hope and trust in to destroy maybe something that's going on. But that's kind of this way of the world, the way of the enemy. And then there's his way. He says, if you follow me, I've come that you may have life and that you may have it to the mediocre. No, that's not what he says. I've come that you may have life and that you may have it to the full. Now, preacher guy, does that mean I never have troubles and everything is roses and candy and gumdrops? And I don't like gumdrops, so let's leave that out. Um, does that mean everything? No, it doesn't mean that. But it means you have a significance and a meaning and a purpose to life and to living that goes beyond maybe circumstantial and situational things that unfold in your life and unfold in mine. And so Jesus is kind of saying, look, there is a way that leads you on different pursuits and you will wake up empty. And here's the truth. Have you ever known someone like that who came to the realization that they were empty. 
Maybe that was you. Maybe it's people that you've known. Maybe it's little journeys that you've taken in life. And Jesus is saying, look, I want you to pursue me. Now, we said last week, we're going to look the next three weeks, this week and the next two, at three specific things that kind of call for us to pursue them full bore, promising something they can never really deliver. And so tonight, I want to look at one. And I know for some of you, maybe this is your first time back in church. And what I'm going to say next, you're going to be like, see, that's what the church always talks about. And I'm going to let you know, uh, we haven't talked about this like in six months, okay? So we don't always talk about it. But this one is one that I think has a giant hook in our culture and tries to pull us toward. And I know you struggle with it because you deal with it. And you handle it, and you have perceptions about it, and you have insights into it, and you've been taught about it. What is it? Money. I'm going to tell you. Hey, money. There you go. <laughs> You're smart. Um, we're going to talk about that myth of more, or the mayhem of more. Mayhem of more, this idea that if I just get more... If I either acquire more, own more, buy the latest this, have the newest that, if I just get more, then I will automatically get more peace, right? Now, we know intellectually that's not true. But every Tuesday or every Friday or every Saturday, don't you feel that tug within you? That tension that exists that, man, if I just had that... My life would be pretty sweet. Anyone else struggle with this besides me? Okay, just a few of us um, that are honest. There's this pull in our culture to want to say this pursuit of more, this mayhem of more targets us and goes after. But here's what I've noticed. I have stood in northern Mexico on a dirt floor of about a hundred square foot dwelling. And I say dwelling because they literally have pulled stuff from trash heaps and propped up makeshift walls and put a tarp that leaks over as their roof. And a family has been there, a family of five or six. And I remember being in their dwelling. And I remember finding peace there. And everything about the situation, from what I've experienced, what I'm used to, I would look at this and go, you're not going to find peace here. And I've also watched as three days later, we've handed them keys to a glorified tough shed in our world. Something with a cement floor and actual walls, but not drywall inside, but has windows and a door that locks and a roof that won't leak. And we hand them the keys and the same amount of peace resides there. Now, gratitude is flowing like crazy. But the same level of peace is there. I've also stood in five, 6,000 square foot homes with people who drive imported cars and return from vacations around the world searching for the very thing that eludes them. Peace. See, there is zero correlation between more, more money, more stuff, more things, and more peace. There is no correlation behind it. But we live in a culture that pushes constantly in subtle and not so subtle ways that if you pursue more, you will find more. You will discover more. You will experience more. Isn't that true? 
That's what our culture says. That's the current that runs through the culture in which you live and the culture in which I live as well. And we looked at this series and we said, when we start pursuing things and we, and we look to whatever that thing may be, and we start looking to it to give me power that only God has the power and authority to give, then I've really set this up as an idol in my life. In fact, we gave this definition, remember? Uh, we said an idol is anything that we're pursuing, that when I look to something that does not have God's power to give me what only God has the power and authority to give. That's what we looked at last week, and that the reality of humanity, and check your pulse, you're human, we all have hearts that want to wander. Every single one of us, myself included. And our hearts want to wander after anything else to achieve this acceptance and this love and this, this gratefulness and this value that we look for. And in our culture, this pursuit of more. We talk about the idea of more money, more... Wow, you really don't watch rap, do you? Um, more money, more problems, right? And, and I know we, we think about that. We go, man, I really would like to wrestle with that like to try to navigate those problems. That'd be all right with me, right? That's your next sentence in your mind. Uh, 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 sure, I will struggle with that, Jack. Pick me. Okay. Um, I understand that. And I understand that every part of us says we love to have that. And there's so much in our culture that says more is better. But here's the truth, friends. Money isn't a... Money is something that uh, has a a loud call to us to pursue it. But it very seldom ever delivers on what it says it promises. And I've watched so many hundreds and thousands and millions of people, no matter race, no matter what continent they're on, no matter what socioeconomic bracket they're in, no matter gender, no matter what stereotypes or, or categories you can fit them in. Chase after this illusion of more and still wake up empty. I've seen people achieve more and still feel empty. See, there's something about this, this promise that more, more stuff, more money says, I'm, I'm going to give you this, but it eludes us. It eludes many. It reminds me kind of what Jesus gets to in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, Jesus is teaching one day in verses 13 uh, through 15. He's teaching and a man says to him, um, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So this guy's got access to money, but he's got a little squabble going on with his brother or sister. Can anyone relate? Okay, a few of you, some of you only child are like, I never fight with myself. Um, Jesus replied, man, who appointed me judge or arbitrator between you, between the two of you? Then he said to them. So now he's branched out beyond just this person. Now he's addressing everyone there. And he has this statement. And he says this, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Isn't that fascinating? We think of greed as singular. One thing, that person over there, they're greedy, Right. Watch out for all kinds of greed. It's almost like Jesus is beginning to say, this is more diversified than you think at first pass. Watch out for all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Watch out. 
Stand on your guard. The Bible has more caution tape around the sin of greed than most other things. Notice it never says, watch out for adultery. Okay? It says, don't do it, but it doesn't say, watch out, be on your guard. Look, if you're sleeping with someone who's not your spouse, ta-da, you kind of know, okay? But what Jesus is saying is greed, greed's one of those things that you, you think you may know, but you may not really know. Watch out for all kinds. It has a way of kind of weaseling into our hearts and into our souls and into our lives. And maybe we don't even recognize it because most of us sitting here, you're in church. Let's be honest. You're probably not a person who struggles with this, right? You're human, right? Me too. So we look at this idea of greed and go, well, I'm not greedy. I'm, I'm less greedy than so-and-so, right? And we use the whole comparison trap. Jesus, don't look at me. Look over there. Way more generous. And, it, and I think we, we forget God isn't looking at a grading scale here. This is about his relationship and about you becoming more and more who he's created and crafted you to be. And from time to time, there's going to become alignment. That's what we talked about last week. There's going to need to be a realignment of our hearts. And so Jesus is teaching, you've got to watch out for this. Jesus is not vague about the danger of this idol. The Bible is not vague about it. That's why 2,300 verses in the Bible itself deal with money, with how we look at it, how we handle it, how we perceive it, what we think about it, and how we utilize it. The Bible has more to say. Jesus had more to say about money and how we handle it, how we interact with it, how we relate with it than he did about heaven, hell, and marriage. Why is that? Did Jesus want to get rich? Was he the Tony Robbins of his day? He was homeless. Didn't have a home. He didn't get rich. Everything he had, he gave away. So it must not be that it was craving. Maybe Jesus, because he's the author of life, actually understands something about how this particular pursuit of more, this idol, has a way of of bringing people down and leading them down a, a pathway toward empty faster than many other things. And so all throughout the scripture, he has things to say about it. Uh, Matthew um, 6, 24, another famous verse you've probably heard. Verse 24, he says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one, love the other, or you'll be uh, devoted to one and you'll despise the other. Then he has that famous line, You cannot serve both God and money. You, You just can't do it. Jesus is not pointing out that you can't dance with both. It's this reality that you, you can't serve. You can't give your devotion, your adoration to one and the other. You have to choose. You're at the junior high dance. You've got to pick one. You, you can't dance with both. That's kind of what he's saying. He's saying, look, you can't be devoted. You can't let the heart, your adoration of your heart want to pursue one more than the other. Now, is money a tool that you can use? Yes, it is uh, a tool that you should use. But recognizing uh, one of the, the frames that I always try to use is, God, I want to be a good manager. I'm not the owner. Psalm 24, verse 1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Period. 
There's a period there. Everything in it. So my skill sets, my talent, my abilities, my connections, my opportunities, they are all directed by him. I have an influence in that. I can be a partner in that, but it's not up to me. All the tools and resources and and opportunities that I have, they're not mine in particular. That's why the Bible speaks so much of being a good steward, being a manager of the resources God's given you and of God's given me. And so I want to look at three quick illusions sometimes that this pursuit of more kind of throws out there. And then I want to come back and just kind of give one bottom line for us. And at the end of tonight, I want to do a little family chat. And the reason I want to do that as, as the pastor here, I just I want to let us all know where we are so that there's no confusion and that we don't ever hide anything. And we want to let you know kind of as we launch into 2015 where we're going. So that's kind of the next few minutes, right? So three quick illusions that this pursuit of money says it promises, but it never really delivers. Maybe first one is this. More money will give me more security. If I just had more money, then I will have more security. That's one of the first illusions about this pursuit of more. And the truth is, you can't produce security, can you? You can be smart, and you can be wise, and you should be. But absolute security is not something you have control over, right? It's not something I have control over. That's why Paul comes back and he begins to write to this young early church and this early church leader. And here's what he says in 1 Timothy 6. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us everything we need for our, listen, our enjoyment. Okay? This isn't a message about, hey, you should never enjoy money. You should never do anything fun. You should never have a savings account where you can just splurge. Okay, this isn't that. It says right here, for your enjoyment. Okay, it's not, this isn't about robbing you of joy. This is about making sure where you know your security comes from. And so many people live their lives saying, if I just get more, then I'll feel more secure. But here's the problem with that. When is it enough? I've read study after study. I read one uh, this week where it talked about that a, a rich guy would never feel secure until he had a billion dollars in the bank. Really? A billion? See, enough is never enough when you pursue it like that. It's always elusive. It's not something that's going to bring you security. Maybe the second illusion is this. More money will give me more peace and more happiness. But the truth is, that's a lie. You can experience enjoyment, you can have beauty, you can taste good things, but it doesn't automatically equal more peace, more security, more happiness. Ecclesiastes 5.10, Solomon, one of the richest guys who ever lived, wrote this. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. There's a creature that lives within you. Their name is spelled W-A-N-T, want. It will always rear its ugly head and it will never be satisfied. So you can have momentary delight and then it's going to crave something else. And so the lasting sense of happiness and contentment is not something that more money automatically guarantees you. 
Enough will never be enough. Don't kid yourself that it could be. Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. Was that just a fancy Hallmark card early written? No. Or was he really on to something? That you'll actually experience more joy and more contentment and more happiness in life as you learn to be a giver at your core versus a hoarder at your core. Does that make sense? And in our culture, this is a tension we have to manage. It's a tension we have to continually wrestle with. This third illusion is uh, simply this. More money will make me more generous. Jack, I know where you're going. (laughs) You tricky preacher guy. You want me to write a check, don't you? No, I don't. I really don't. If you want to, go right ahead. But here's the truth. What I want for you, I want more than anything in the world for you to have a sense of significance and purpose and meaning and for you to live from the very core of that as God guides you to grow more and more into who he is creating and recreating you to be. And here's what I know. Generosity is so much a core part of God's heart that if you are not growing in your generosity, you are missing an opportunity to be more and more like him. God is a giver at his very core. God loved so that God gave. That's what love does. It just gives. That's when a church can show up to a school and say, we love you. No strings attached. You know what? If you don't come, that's fine. We're not here to get you to come to our church. We just want you to know you're noticed and you're loved by a God who actually notices you. Here's a backpack. Here's food. Here's things. That's the church loving and living with a generous heart like God, right? That's the church being the church. Not holding church and talking about church, but actually living it out. Friends, I want us to be more and more generous. Why? Because that means we're growing in our heart to be more and more like Him. Here's what I know. If you're not practicing generosity now, when you make $25,000 a year, you won't practice generosity when you make $50,000 a year. Generosity is not a natural reaction. It is a deliberate choice and habit. You have to choose it. And you choose right where you're at. I say that as a person who, for a long time, uh, early on in my faith journey with Jesus, this was a struggle for me. I was like, I don't want to get my words. And then I actually started practicing this. Do you know the book of Malachi, last book of the Old Testament, says this is one of the things that we can actually test God on. That we shouldn't test God in anything. But in Malachi chapter 3, it says, God says, you test me on this. You test me that if you don't practice and just start giving generously, don't be foolish about it, be wise about it. But as you practice this, as you give this, you test me and don't, and and I will show myself faithful to you. You may not get the imported car, that's okay. You may get a car that runs. That's good enough. And so, all throughout the Bible, over and over again, this, this call to generosity is something for your spiritual growth and for your spiritual health. 
And at the end of the day, as one of your pastors, that's what I want for you. I want you to wake up at the end of 2015 more generous, more fulfilled, more uh, a sense of accomplishment and significance and meaning and growth and movement in your walk with Jesus than you are right now. And so here's the family chat that we're going to talk about. We're doing really well as a church. I am so happy to stand up here and tell you that. We really are. Um, I'll give you a few numbers for people that like numbers, okay? For most of you, you like stories, and, and I'll come back to that. What, what Jesus is getting at here, one final thought. The problem is not having riches. It's found in trusting in your riches more than in God. At the end of the day, that's what Jesus is kind of drilling home here. The problem is not having riches, but it's found when you begin trusting in your riches more than you are trusting in God. And God says, look, I, I want to be first. I don't want you to wind up empty. I want you to live a full life. And a full life is based on running and chasing after me. And so as a church and as individuals, we want to do that. And I wish that for you. No matter where you are. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, this is your first time back in church in a long time. And uh, I'm really glad you're here. I hope you keep coming. I hope this is a place where you can put down some roots and find some people that will love on you just because you're you. And just care for you. In this family chat section, I want to talk about, uh, you realize in the fall of 2013, look, and then we just finished the fall of uh, 2014, we're up about 42 people average uh, in attendance than we were a year ago. And so there's been growth in that. We are up $41,000 from a year ago to this year. And I say that as a praise, like that's an amazing thing. I say this all the time, and uh, we, we talk about the reality of it. It takes real money to do real ministry. It, it's not Tinkerbell, it's not fairy dust. It takes real resources to do things. Every Sunday to pull all this together, it takes real resources to do that. It takes real resources to, to um, rent the space that we're in. It takes real resources to rent the office space that we have where we do a lot of our e-groups and everything else that we don't do here on a Sunday night to move all the equipment. Do you realize we have some of the best equipment in our city and it's mobile that we can move this anywhere and do amazing things with it? We have a lease on this. It's the only debt that we technically have as a church. And it's a lease that will be paid off in three years. And we'll own it. And it'll be ours. And we did that so that we could do more up front without having to do it. So we were very wise and did a lot of research on that. We pay about $2,200 a month just for the equipment of all the video, audio, tech stuff that we have. Okay? So we're not... I'm letting you know in behind the curtain of what goes on around here. You have two and a half staff that lead this church. Uh, Brian and myself at full-time, Lyle at very part-time, and even worse part-time is our eKids directors, Michelle and Dana, okay? Two and a half staff, we run about 250 people. Brian and I are realizing we are very quickly becoming the ceiling here. You know what we don't have? We have zero admin help. Do you know how bad Brian and I are at admin administration stuff? We're pretty bad. Um, I remind him he's worse, but I'm older, so it's kind of a trade-off. But, but we are realizing we just that's a need of ours. 
that we're just going to have to go. We've been living on a little bit of the, of the kitty that Casas Church and that Pantano so graciously gave us as seed money to start. We still have a little bit of that left. But we know that's going to run out soon. We've got an emergency fund. We've got a savings account. What church plants can say that? We can. And that's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. At the same way, we know that we've got to continue to grow. We want to continue to have a greater and greater impact. We want to continue to give more money away and give more resources away to bless Midtown Tucson and to bless now Ecuador, the partnership we have with that. And who knows what God's going to do in 2015. So all of that takes resources. And so here's my invitation to you. Two of One is, I knew if we had 150 families or 150 individuals who would say, I'll give $150 a month to Element City Church, that's $270,000 in a year. Our next goal, so you know, and I've told our leadership team, is 300,300 people. That's kind of our next shelf that we're kind of moving forward, and we're not bashful about that. Because that means real ministry to real lives, to see real life change happens, and it just takes real resources to make that happen. And so that's kind of where we're moving toward. We live within our means. We, uh, we live on 90% and we set aside 10%. We practice what we preach. Okay? So when I say to you, hey, I'd love for you to be generous and to carve out a percentage, we're doing that as a church. We give 5% to future church planning and we give 5% to missions. That's how we do things around here. And so all of the things that we're doing and the future things that we need uh, reside on that. And so for all of you who give and you're a financial partner here with this church, thank you. I really mean that. And my prayer for you is that you would sense God growing your heart more and more in generosity, not just at this church, but to see him make you more and more quickly uh, to respond in the ways that you can. I told you this principle, Amy and I live by all the time. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. I don't have the resources to help everybody, but I can help someone. And so I always live with that principle of who comes across, who's God bringing. And uh, I want us as a church to live that way. I want us to respond that way. And so in this pursuit and in this passion of trying to live this out, if you're here and you call Element City Church home, okay, if you're here and you're first-time guest, you are out of this, okay? You get a free pass. Next week, you're not a first-time guest anymore, just letting you know. Um, But if you're... Someone who comes here and you've never thought about it. Like, the idea of giving to a church has never been on your radar screen. Here's my invitation to you really simply. I want to invite you to do a 90-day challenge. Most of you do cleanses. You work out for 90 days. You do all that kind of stuff to make yourself better. I'm inviting you to test God and do a 90-day challenge of simply saying, you pray about it. You figure out a, a, a priority. You're going to make it a priority. You figure out the percentage. We put some stuff on our giving page that can help you navigate that, but you figure out between you and God how you want to do that, and then do it for 90 days. And if you can come back to me and say, hey, I did that challenge thing you talked about, and it didn't work, then I will personally take you out to a steak dinner on my own dime. Okay. Ooh, I said that. Um, God, woo. <laughs> I really believe that God longs to have his people live generously just like he does. 
And I believe for some of you who may be sitting here who haven't exercised that, who haven't partnered with God in that, this may be one of the biggest spiritual um, quests you go on this year. To say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you. I've been trusting in my riches and what I can acquire in and more. But I want to trust in you more than anything else. And I'm just going to ask you to do that. If it helps you, you can text the word 90 to our phone number, and it's going to send you an automated response just back to our giving page. I don't see that. I don't know your number. Um, I'm not going to research that. We, we just don't do that, okay? So I want to invite you to do that. I think it's going to be a really, really big deal. Um, I